Good morning. Malachi. Malachi. Turn to Malachi chapter 2. Very interesting topic of scripture today. Also, we'll get into that a little bit later. It's one of the most debated verses for translating Hebrew into English in the entire Old Testament. So that'll be fun. Um, and that's be one of those times where if we compared notes and we'd feel like we had completely different Bibles in one of the verses because it's a very difficult verse to work through, but we have to do a lot of groundwork before we get to that. So open to Malachi chapter 2. We're eventually going to pick up in verse 10, and uh, we need to set the stage, set the context a little bit before we dive into that. So go ahead and get there, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. If you can't find Malachi, find your New Testament and go one book before. It's one of those short ones. It is difficult to find, or use your table of contents. It'll have a page number. Find the book of Malachi. So we've been Malachi, I think this is week three, four, week four now in Malachi. It's going to be a fairly short series compared to the year and a half we spent in Matthew. Um, but it's a very interesting book, very engaging book, especially this morning, the topic that's going to be discussed. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to set a biblical principle just before you. It's one you've seen, you've heard, you've probably thought about, but maybe you haven't unpacked. And uh, this passage is going to unpack that concept for us today. So I'll start with trivia. So if Jesus was going to summarize the entire Old Testament law, he would summarize it in how many commandments? Two. Very good. And the first commandment is what? Love God, and then the second greatest commandment is love, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a biblical concept, and the idea behind this biblical concept is your relationship to God should influence and ultimately determine the way you relate to other people. So the vertical controls the horizontal, your relationship with God. So there's a reason that commandment's first, and then second, we love one another. So love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then we turn that horizontally, and then we love our neighbor as ourself. So as we go into the passage this morning, that's the biblical concept that's being applied. He's going to apply it in some specific and precise relationships, but that's the idea. So if you think about culturally, um, we live in a day and age where, it, at least in America, we're shying away from denominations. If you ask an average person, um, they say they're a Christian, and the next thing you want to know is, well, what kind? You know, we, what, what denomination? Kind of, what, what do you believe? What church? We want to put you in a, in a, in a particular box. And, and then the typical response these days is, oh, no, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm just a Christian. Because what's the idea? Why are people answering that way, you think? Or for one, maybe trying to get rid of certain reputations that go with different denominations. But I think another thing is we feel, I think, as Christians, that there's a disconnect between the unity we're supposed to have and the unity we actually experience across the body. Have you ever been mad at another Christian? Or has another Christian ever been mad at you? Have you ever been to a church where there was friction between believers? Now, do you know anyone who doesn't go to church really because of that exact reason, right? They've experienced suffering in the church, maybe at the hands of church members. There's disagreement, there's 
fighting, there's infighting. We couldn't decide on the color of the carpet, which is why we don't have any. And so, <laughs> so you leave. You, you, you pull out, and then a lot of people end up, their version of church is on their own. I, I get more out of church if I just go hunting or fishing or fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. That is church for me. Now, what I want you to see is that principle is the opposite of the biblical principle, right? Our relationship with God does what to our relationship with man? It dictates it, right? So if we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we would do what with our neighbor? Love our neighbor, right? Instead, we want to build up our relationship with God in such a way that it allows us to just completely give up on everyone else. So what we're going to see today is that we are dishonoring God if we do not honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the same thing, really. That's what the passage is going to be about. We're going to apply it in several different ways. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Malachi um, chapter 2, verse 10. This is his third oracle. And basically in every one of these oracles, his disputations, his arguments against the people, he's calling them out for something. Our key word today is going to be faithless. He's calling them out for being faithless. So Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to who? One another. You see the connection? Have we not all one Father? Have we not one God who created us? then why are we faithless in the horizontal? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. So covenant of our fathers. Covenant is very precise language in the scriptures. This is a reference specifically to Abraham. We could say even to Moses. There is a covenant relationship between God and his people. We're in the Old Testament, so when we say God's people, we do mean a particular group of people. And what group of people is this? This is the Israelites, the We might call them Judites at this point, the Jewish people, the Hebrews. So if we're following Old Testament history, Malachi comes at the very end of that before we get to the New Testament. So we've already seen their heyday. We've seen their glory days. David has already been king. Solomon has been king. And then after Solomon, the kingdom split, you remember, into a north and a south. The northern kingdom was called Israel from that point forward. The southern kingdom was called Israel. Very good, called Judah from that point forward. But then God destroys both nations at different points in time to punish them, to correct them for their idolatry. And Malachi is coming in after they've come back home. They've been taken from their land. They've gone through two generations apart from the temple, apart from the Holy Land, apart from Jerusalem. They finally come back home. They've rebuilt the temple. They've reestablished their religion. They've reinstituted the sacrificial system. And yet there's just this blah to their religion. You ever felt like you're part of a Christianity that feels that same way? And Malachi could speak directly to us in the same setting, that we have all of the content, we have all of the structure, we have all of the formal pieces, but there's this eh to our religion. And that's what they're dealing with with Malachi, and there's faithlessness to the covenant that God had with them that he had started back with Abraham and had brought forward to them the present day for them, and they are profaning the covenant precisely 
because they are not faithful to one another. So let's unpack verse 10 a little bit more precisely. So have we not all one Father? Now in the New Testament, when we say Father, who are we talking about? Talking about God. In fact, we're talking about the first person of the Trinity, right? So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We could get into Trinitarian theology right there. In the Old Testament, these things are not quite as clear. The revelation has not progressed so far that we have a clear understanding of the Trinity at this point. It's always been this way. And here it says, have we not all one Father? Now, I want to make sure we hear this correctly. We're not talking about God being the Father over all people in this text, okay? In the Old Testament, God's fatherhood was specifically limited, who do you think, to one group of people. What group of people is that? It's the Hebrew people. God was father, and he had his son, Israel. In fact, in the New Testament, when this scripture is referenced, quoting as though it applies to Jesus, out of Egypt I called my son. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament, where out of Egypt I called my son is a reference to the Hebrews coming out of Egypt through the plagues and through the Exodus wilderness wanderings. Out of Egypt I have called my son. God is selective. He's the father over this one particular group of people. Has not one God created us? So one would be as opposed to what? If it wasn't one, what would another answer be? Many, more than one. So in religion, we would classify Judaism and Christianity as what kind of religion? Major category, monotheism. Very fancy way of saying one God created us. This is what's going on in this passage. So polytheism or anything other than monotheism is not biblical, right? So here's what I want to unpack. We're going to define faithfulness based on this passage, and we're going to have to unpack monotheism. So number one, faithfulness, so as opposed to the faithlessness they're experiencing, faithfulness is exclusive worship of the one true God. Exclusive worship of the one true God. Now, if you want to turn with me, hold your finger in Malachi. I want you to see Exodus chapter 20. There's 10 famous rules given in Exodus Exodus chapter 20. Anybody know what they're called? Okay, good. If you got that one wrong, I was going to be very sad. All right, so the Ten Commandments. I want you to see how this is worded. It says, in God spoke these words, so this is Exodus 20, saying, I am the Lord your God, and of course, Lord, here's Yahweh. I'm Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So what group of people are we talking to? It's the Jews, God's people, the, who he'll be father over. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. So, just think through the logic here. Is that saying that God has to be first in your life? I got mixed answers. Okay? It is not saying God has to be first. Alright, so let's think about this. Idolatry is usually defined an idol is anything you do what to? Something you put before God. Okay? Have you heard that definition before? An idol is anything you put before God. So I'm going to add to that. An idol is anything you put before God 
or after him. Okay, so here's how we usually work this. So number one in your life should be God. And then what do we usually put number two? Family. And then it depends on who you're talking to. Either church or work is next. Sometimes those are back and forth. And then maybe fifth, hobbies, right? If that's your list, you have four idols in your life. So you put God first. If you put your family second, you have an idolatry problem. If you put church third, you have an idolatry problem. If you put work on the list, you have an idolatry problem. You see where I'm going with this? What's number one on the list? God. What should number two be? Blank. Well, God would work. Okay, you follow my logic. Okay. (laughs) Only. How many gods? That's the idea of monotheism, right? Not that our God is the most powerful out of all of the gods, but if you're monotheists, who's second most powerful? Nobody. There's, there's no second. There's God, and then nothing else gets on the list. This is the same thing we dealt with when um, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain in Matthew's gospel. Do you remember? And they saw Jesus transfigured. In some way, they saw his divinity there in their presence. And Elijah and Moses were there with them. And Peter is the one who says, oh, Can I build a tabernacle, a tent, some sort of structure for each of you? One, two, three. And while he's saying that, God the Father interrupts Peter to correct him on a theological point. Do you remember what he did wrong? Peter said, I'm going to build a tent for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. But he was wrong. So wrong, he, he thought he was going to die until Jesus comforted him. At the end, what's wrong with that list? Moses and Elijah and Jesus aren't in the same category. Two of those are human beings. One of those is God. You don't put those three in the same category at all. That's why Jesus, I mean, God the Father interrupts Peter and says, no, this is my beloved son. You do what he says. Moses and Elijah aren't even included in the conversation. See how that works? There's no first, and then we get second, third, fourth, and fifth. The idea of our relationship with God, He is Father. Only one God has created us is we don't get to put anything else on the list. That before, in the commandment, that we shall have no other gods before Him, doesn't mean in sequence. It means in His presence. If you have God in the equation... Nothing else gets counted. You follow that? So there's no other gods, period, in my life. I don't get to worship Baal a little bit on the side as long as I worship Yahweh most. If I put Yahweh first, I still don't get to do any any little bit, any shred of obedience, any shred of worship to any other thing, period. You see, that's, that's monotheism. That's what we mean when we say no other gods before me. So and that's how we're defining faithfulness. You're faithful to God then if God is literally the only idol, the only thing of worship in your entire life. That's faithfulness. That's the exclusiveness of Yahweh. Now, let's back that up with one more statement. 
So the Lord demands our devotion, and this is how Jesus words it in Mark's gospel, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, why do you think he included all, all of those things? Because technically, even in Hebrew, it only says three, with our, with our heart and our soul and our strength. Jesus is being more emphatic, says heart, mind, soul, or heart, soul, mind, and strength. What do you think is missing in that, those four things? Is there any part of you that doesn't have to love the Lord your God? You, you know where I'm going, right? Nothing. Zero. Every fiber of your being should be devoted to the Lord, to the one true God. Nothing else is even on the list. So God first. So back to our, you know, analogy. So God and then family and then career and then work or whatever your, your order is. What if God told you, just, just hypothetically, if God said, I want you to leave your job and go do this thing in Africa. Well, where does your job fit on the list in that scenario? doesn't, right? Because what are you supposed to do? Whatever he tells you to do. What if he calls you to a mission that might put your family at risk? What do you do? If you're not sure what the answer is, you have an idolatry problem. Okay? Uh, You hear what I'm saying? If God calls you to do something that interferes with something else on your list, and you have a moment's hesitation to do it, there's a a little bit of idolatry in your heart. Because how much obedience does one true God require of us? Total. Absolute obedience. This is what exclusive worship of Yahweh is about. This is faithfulness. So we're defining that vertical relationship. Now we're going to apply it horizontally. So why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. So he's going to apply this to a very specific scenario. So we have this relationship with God where he is God, and we do everything he says. Now let's apply that to a specific horizontal relationship. For Judah's profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. So this is a form of idolatry. See what he means. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So as we we go through, it's going to be very clear what's going on here. Someone has married outside of the faith follow that? Okay. Do you think the Bible gives you permission to marry for love if that person you love is an unbeliever? Absolutely not. No. And if we doubt that, we have an idol. God does not permit that. God wants us to honor him, guess what, in who we choose to marry. And maybe what we choose to do for a living. What parts of my life need to honor God? Every part. God commands us to marry. The New Testament is not unclear about applying this concept. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
That's the idea. Do not marry outside of the faith. Absolutely no. And so they were doing that here in the Old Testament. This is what Solomon did, remember? Solomon had a bunch of wives. And how did that fare for Solomon? That's how idolatry came into the kingdom. It'd be one thing to marry someone of a different ethnicity if they shared your religion. But these did not. This is idolatry coming into the family. So verse 12, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So you think you can marry someone outside of the faith and then come worship in my temple and you think I'm going to honor that. Is what God said. Now does this feel a bit harsh to you? Culturally it might. But this is just straight obedience. God has commanded us to act a certain way in certain relationships. All right, let's keep going. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards or accepts your offering with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Okay? So he's applying this now to marriage, specifically already married people. This isn't choosing who, but this is you are married right now. God is going to judge us based on whether we are faithful in that marriage relationship. So our faithfulness in a marriage relationship should be based on whose faithfulness? God's faithfulness. So we have one Father, one God who has created us. He's going to judge these for not being faithful to the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So we can ask the question, because it's addressed to men here, and in their context it would be very difficult for a woman to divorce the husband in this context. And so the husband has divorced his wife. Now we'll get... It'll be a little more clear as we go through the next one. We get into that difficult to translate verse. Presumably because he doesn't love her anymore. All right, love has left the relationship. He doesn't care about her anymore. We have examples of this in Deuteronomy. Specific circumstances when a guy marries a second woman because he's not happy with the first one anymore. He's, well, you know, we, we did that, tried it for a while. I'm just not satisfied in this relationship anymore. I want something new, something fresh, and if we be honest, the guys probably want something younger, something, you know where this is going. That's what the guy wants. I'm going to give up this old relationship. I don't want the old car anymore. I want a new car, all right? I'm not going to be any more explicit than that. Y'all can work with me, all right? This is what's going on. How does the Lord feel about that attitude, you think? It's not positive. Verse 15. Did he not make them one? Well, who did God make one? The man and his wife were made one flesh with a portion of the spirit in their union. There's a spiritual aspect to this union. And what was the one God seeking? Well, godly offspring. Bring up reproduce, multiply, be fruitful, not just in producing children, but in producing Christ followers and producing godly offspring, people who would continue in the covenant. So guard yourselves in your spirit 
And let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who died, this is the verse, so if you read a translation that's radically different than mine, I'll, I'll express that in a second. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, you see there? So he doesn't love her anymore. So now he divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel. He covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Or it says the Lord God hates divorce and consequently will cover you with violence. Either way, what's the attitude towards divorce? Not good. We, not good is probably a very palatable way to say it. It's evil. It's faithlessness. It denies our very relationship with God to think that we can just have it how we want it in the horizontal. This man is not satisfied with his relationship with his wife. And so he feels now he is justified to get what he wants. But what ought he want? To honor the Lord his God. And he ought to care a lot more about what the Lord wants than what he wants. So faithfulness in marriage, let's define it like this. Let's just use the same concept. Exclusive devotion to your spouse. I mean, this is really obvious if you think about it. So do you think my wife will be content... You know, if I, I love several women, I just love her the most. Are you chuckle, right? That's so obvious that that's not going to work. There's not a, oh, I love you more than I love my other girlfriends. Absolutely not, okay? It's the exact same concept. How do you love the Lord your God? Exclusively. Nothing else. There's nothing in that category. Well, how do you love your spouse? Nothing else, nothing in that category. I would say, to apply this in the New Testament, the same way Jesus would apply, say, adultery, for example. Matthew 5, 27 says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. Let's say the same idea as this passage. So, if you're even daydreaming about another person or a better lot, anybody daydream about, man, if I had married this other person? Said, no, don't raise your hand here because you're having married one. All right? But in your mind, you know what I'm talking about. Man, if this relationship had only worked out this way, or if my spouse was different in this one way, you start daydreaming about that, you've already been faithless in your heart. What kind of devotion does the Lord our God want? Absolute, faithful, just like to Him, if we are faithful to the Lord our God in heart, mind, soul, body, strength, make your list however long it needs to be, you apply that same thing horizontally. We can apply this in all relationships. The specific one in context here is marriage. Be faithful to the wife of your youth. So see the how He words it in the end. So guard yourselves... In your spirit. Is this guard yourselves on the outside? You know, thinking about it's okay as long as you don't do it? No. 
Where do you guard yourself? In the very core of your being, you guard that relationship. You guard your marriage. You guard your attitude towards your marriage. You guard your desires within the marriage. You guard your satisfaction within that marriage. You guard your looks. You guard your appetite. You guard everything on the inside. Because that's exactly what the Lord expects in our devotion to Him. doesn't matter if I don't bow down on the outside to another God. If I do it on the inside, I've already committed idolatry. Let's take that same vertical concept and apply it to our marriages. Let's apply it to our relationships within the body of Christ. Let's apply it everywhere we interact with people. Let's base our relationship with the world on God's relationship with us. Is God faithful to us? Absolutely. It even says in the New Testament, when we're not faithful, God keeps being faithful. He can't help it. It's who He is. Let's take that faithfulness. Let's turn it horizontal. And let's pour that faithfulness out on everyone else.